Hi, and welcome back to the Mob Mentality Show. I'm Chris Lucian, and my co-host is Austin Chadwick. And today uh, we have esteemed guests, uh, Woody oh. Zool and Kevin Meadows. Uh, and we're uh, going to talk through, um, well, the announcement and celebration of the second edition of the uh, Mob Programming book coming out. Um, and we'll go over the genesis of the story of the first book and the second edition and uh and changes in the second edition so um can i have uh you guys introduce yourselves uh, just for the audience members that don't know who you are and uh we'll go from there kevin you want to go first sure my name is kevin meadows i've been a software engineer since far too long to admit to um and have worked on and off through the years through all kinds of different software environments from small startups with two or three people to large enterprise outfits i've uh, been working with woody since the 90s i think and have been collaborating with him ever since and decided to get together and do this book yeah so and i'm woody zool i've been doing software development since well it's now uh, 40 plus years and uh, I first learned it basic. So that's how I started. I really love software development. I think of myself as a software developer and sort of an accidental uh, speaker on software development topics. Um, so that's it. I, I really uh, have enjoyed working uh, with teams and a long time ago realized that uh, teamwork is important, but that we rarely, we get put on teams in software development, but we rarely do anything that I would call teamwork. So this is that's sort of my story and why mob programming exists, I think, is because uh, this long pursuit I had to figure out, well, how can we work as a team? And so there we go. All right. Well, uh, maybe we can jump in and uh, get a little bit about how the first edition of the book started. What was the Genesis story? Well, I think that's a good one for me to cover. When I first started uh, doing workshops in 2013, my first request for a workshop uh, was in 2013, happened to be in Sweden. And so I went to do it and I didn't know how to do a workshop. So I quickly figured out, well, what am I going to do during this workshop? But it was very much like a coding dojo, which I'd been doing a lot of. So we started with that and it seemed to help them quite a bit. And that's what I did. And so then... Um, as I did a few more of these workshops from 2013 to say 2015, it became clear to me that I need to write a lot of this stuff down because a one day workshop, it's enough for me to say a lot of stuff, but I didn't have any materials to give to people. So I started writing this stuff down and somewhere along the way. Um, so that I just, I kind of knew I need to do that. Uh, matter of fact, I think as a group, uh, all of us uh, working together who kind of originated this, we had talked about, you know, what do we need to do to help? We took it seriously that people were asking about this. And so we gathered, you know, stuff together and that turned into you know, some original articles that we all wrote. Chris, you wrote a few of those. I wrote a few of them. I think Dexter and Aaron and maybe others. And that's about it. Then one day I got a, an email from uh, Kevin and I think we'd already been talking about this stuff. And he had said, uh, well, I took some information that came from the research done in pair programming and just expanded it to what would it need to look like if we were to have uh, more than two people sitting at one computer? What, what would we need to get in a return 
to to see this be economically feasible. And so uh, I read that paper. It was clear to me that it was way beyond the kind of stuff I myself could write. And uh, Kevin's got pretty much, a, in some ways, an academic background. He he actually went to a college and actually got degrees, which I haven't done. And so I said, mm, I'm trying to write this book. Would you join me? At least that's my rem remembrance of it. And he started helping me. It's kind of one of those things like if you can't motivate yourself to do something, ask someone to join you. And then you're kind of forcing yourself to do it without having to become motivated. And so that's that's that. Um, that's so, so that it was just to capture the stuff I was trying to cover in the workshop in a written form. And we put it in a, there's this publishing online publishing group called lean pub, where you can write a book, publish it immediately, write it. People can access it while you're writing it. They can, uh, you know, give you ideas if they, if you want them and so on. So that's what we did. Did that sound about right, Kevin? Yeah, that sounds <laughs> About how things went. I'm trying to think when we first published the first edition was what, 2014, I think. Is that right? We probably started, I probably started in with that about then, exactly when you joined. I'm not sure, but I'm, yeah. I think we got to where it was really available uh, in 2016. I don't know when we finished it, though, when we called it finished. Yeah. Do, you have a, do you have a date for that? Chris, do you know? 2016, I think. Okay. Yeah, uh, I, I do have a question. Um, so for because I think probably a lot of our viewers may have considered writing books on Lean Pub or something before. How was oh, that yeah. experience? Like, what uh, did you get feedback from people as you were writing it? Did you uh, change things along the way? You know, how how did Lean Pub work for you? I think that might be interesting. I don't yeah, we we did. Yeah, go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, I was just gonna say I don't recall us getting a lot of feedback on it, but the publishing experience itself was excellent. Uh, and I don't want to sound like um, a shill for them, but uh, they made it very easy to be able to uh, input very small bits of the book and then continually write more and continually update. So it was a, it was a very good publishing experience. Cool. Yeah, it's painless. It's, if, if you, they use a markup, you have to kind of learn at least a little bit about the markup, but, uh, or it's really not called a markup. They, they have another, is it marked down? There's a, there's some mark kind of a term. Down. Mark up, mark down, so, mark left. So uh, there's like a, there's <laughs> there's a little bit different meaning between the two, but it, that's pretty straightforward. And anybody who's done a little bit of programming won't have a trouble with it. And there's a lot of stuff that's been published there that wasn't done by programmers. So I don't think you have to be that technical. Mm -hmm. all, all I care about is, can I, can I get it to look halfway decent? You know, and was the, uh, you know, when you did publish it and things like that, did that just kind of feed into the second edition? Did you start a new edition, that sort of thing? Well, and maybe Kevin, you should kind of well, share. Or maybe, maybe we just go to the Genesis story of the second. How do <laughs> we get to that's what this is. That's what this is. This is the genesis of the, the second edition. But yeah, we looked at what we had done in the first edition and realized that, you know, in the time since the book was published, there was a lot more we wanted to cover. Uh, specifically, we wanted to bring in the concept of teams because we didn't really touch very heavily on that in the first edition. And we also wanted to bring in what I think is kind of the core of the, of the second edition of the book, which is the focus on flow. And we've also brought in a chapter on some remote mob programming, because when we had done the first edition, this was obviously prior to the pandemic, 
and most people were still working on site at the time. So we wanted to update that as well. Nice. Yeah, so it was just new stuff and it just seemed inappropriate to to put it into the original book uh, by that time because we had called that one done. And so we, you know, in all fairness, um, we I was never really satisfied. I'm not a writer. I want to really get really clear. I know how to write words and I kind of know how to form sentences, but beyond that, I'm not a writer. And so I was never really happy with it. It's kind of like, I'm never happy if I listen to a recording of my voice or watch a recording of me on a, at a, at a conference talking. It's like, oh, that guy, is, he's terrible. So I wanted to, I felt it'd be good if we could revisit some of the things we wrote that I felt weren't very clear. And I wanted to, somewhere near the end of the process, I wanted to introduce the idea of teaming uh, and the concept of software teaming. And hopefully we'll have time to cover that here right now, because I think that that's, we changed the name from of the book from mob programming to software teaming. Um, and uh, I'm not trying to change that for the world. That's just the way I think about it. So originally, I, I hope you all remember, I, people would often ask, you know, uh, about the name mob programming. And it was sort of an accidental thing that, that it became mob programming in the first place because I wanted to call it whole team programming because that's how I envisioned it. And that became clearer as the years went by, two or three years after we started working this way, it was clear to me that we need the whole brain there, which is made up of many different people. So we need a brain, a one brain made up of many different people so we can really be effective in writing software. So that's uh, that was sort of a last step in this, wasn't that we started thinking we need a new name for the book? But I, I discussed it with Kevin that I, I felt there was a name I'd rather use, and I'm going to turn around to my bookshelf. It's usually here, and it sure is. I love to just be able to reach in for this book. That's where the name came from, Teaming. This book came out about a year after we started mob programming, and as soon as it came out, I believe. My, my recollection is I was going, I was going to take a flight somewhere and I saw the notice that this had become available. I bought it and read it on that flight. When I got off the plane, I'd finished the book. I got it in a Kindle or whatever. And uh, so I, it wasn't that long of a flight, but let's say five hours of flying. And I thought, dang, this is what we're talking about. This is what mob programming is about, the concept of dynamic teams that uh, that understand that they are here to work as a team. So we need to get good at being a team member. And I came up with a little thought for myself, which was basically this teamwork isn't something, isn't the work you get from a team. Teamwork is what we bring to a team, that we're willing to work as a team, that I'm here not to promote my agenda, but I'm here to learn, you know, how can I best contribute to this team effort. And every day, when, you know, Chris, you and I worked, every day in the morning I come in, I had a little reminder. You're here, me, I'm here to bring my best to this team. Keep that in mind. And of course, I've never really worked very well, but that's what I, you know, I would forget that by the end of the day, but uh, th that was, so that's why software teaming. The, the idea that it's dynamic, that you will gather, the people you need for this effort, 
keep the team together, of course, as long as possible. But and it might be for years. The core team might be together for years. But we'll take this idea of teaming, that we're actively and dynamically going to operate as a team. And that's that's why the new name. There's another reason I guess I better bring up. I was never completely happy with the mob programming as a name. It was a comical name. It was meant to be funny. And uh, that some people in some countries mobbing or mob, mobbing means to bully. And so even when I first became aware of that back in 2013, I, I would always say this. I don't really care what you call it. Find the name that works for you. And this just happens to be what, what we had called it. And uh, we didn't even really call it that way. I think it became the default thing to call it because people heard the term. We didn't invent the term. And there was, uh, uh, was like pair plus plus and other yeah. ideas that were thrown yeah. around. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. we didn't have a, it. It was, you know, I think somebody was there that said, hey, you should have a name for this at some point. <laughs> yeah. And I won't name names on our original team, but one of the team members uh, who doesn't happen to be here today said, I really like mob programming. Let's just keep calling it that. And so, um, yeah. so that's, and I, I will always defer to the team itself. If somebody expresses their intent and nobody says, no, that won't work, then we probably should just adopt it and let the, that's like stepping up to be a leader at the moment. The, the, the leadership is needed. You're not like, you're contributing with your intent and you're not saying we must do this, but the rest of the team can decide. But that's a good point. I think that, um, yeah, I liked the the humor of the word mob programming, and I liked that it got a lot of attention. And we never <laughs> intended we never intended for that, but yeah. And I and I actually want to dive into the the naming and software teaming a little bit more. Um, sure. And I also noticed that in the new book cover, you know, the the main title is software teaming. But then it has like a an homage or cam, uh, cameo for mob programming there. It says a mob programming whole team approach, right? So still still yeah. got it in there a little bit. Uh, yeah. yeah, we don't want to completely separate, <laughs> you know, because it it's known as mob programming and has been for twelve years, I guess. Right. Now. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think and we're not trying to change the name. I want to make that clear. This is how I'm thinking. Yeah, it's not how I expect the world to think. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think too that. Um, the name software teaming better captures the essence of what we're doing. That's right. The, the name mob programming implies, however, indirectly, that we're programming. And that's not what we're always doing. Um, we're oftentimes trying to hash out what needs to be done. We're oftentimes trying to hash out which story to do next. We're trying to hash out the details of a story, what it is the customer wants. We may be working with people that aren't programmers. Yeah. And yeah. so it's not like we're at all times a continuous conveyor belt of code going into the computer. So I think the idea that we're constructing software using a team better captures what we're actually doing. That's right. That's right. Nice. Nice. Right on. And and I think what I wanted to ask about it was uh you know, name naming things is tough. You know, I've always learned that with code from the beginning. Like uh, you know, what do we name this variable? Oh man. Maybe I can think of a slightly better name or whatever, but it's always, uh, that's one thing that I love doing as a team is naming a variable and things like that. And so it's always uh, fun being part of the naming process. But um, I'd like to hear more about this like uh, teaming concept because it's interesting to me because 
Um, you see this uh, happen a lot. Any any place that's trying out uh, whatever we want to call this thing, uh, that you'll see this. You know, maybe they'll use a new name. You know, they come up with their new name, or they'll use Mob, or they use Ensemble, or something else, and they they try to come up with a new name so they know, like, hey, we're you know, I know we've been calling ourselves a team or a squad or something, but we're doing something different. And so they use a different name. And then I've also seen people use an existing name, but try to re bring in a new meaning to it than what was done before. Um, so maybe what was the thinking behind the strategy? Because obviously, uh, teaming is something that gets used, I don't know, in 20 different ways, <laughs> depending who you're talking to in what context. Well, uh, just to be clear, that that's from this description of team. that description right there. Okay, yeah. very cool. Which is basically that that it's being used as a verb. I think in this way, when we're teaming, and that that's, yeah, that's yeah. that stuck with me since I read it. I think I've read this book twice. Matter of fact, um, Amy Edmondson, who wrote this, was going to be our keynote speaker at the 2020 Mob Programming Conference, which we canceled uh, due to the. Uh, to the uh, pandemic travel issues and all that. So the, the concept of teaming there really is, we need to be able to really up our skills on working as a team and we bring that to the team. So maybe we get rid of the, the forming and norming chunks of things. If I've got to go work with this team, I'm going to bring my best uh, team capability to it and I'm going to immediately be able to contribute. We will remember, uh, Chris and I, somebody flew in from uh, Winnipeg once. Uh, when In our earlier days, we would say, hey, people call us or send an email. Hey, I want to learn about mob programming. You know, what do you do? Just come and be with us. So at, at first, I, we weren't doing workshops or talks or anything. Just why don't you come be with us? So he came in, sat down with us. Within 10 minutes, he was contributing uh, how to better do Lambdas in, in C-sharp, which was a relatively new team. The team was doing quite a bit with. This person was giving value immediately. Mm. And I, I, at the end of the day, I think we had we had worked on the one that we were looking at right then. As a matter of fact, he said something like, oh, there's, there's some really cool things we could do with this a lot better than this. So show us. And so he stepped us through. So he's contributing as a navigator, the person guiding the process. Practically when he first sat down with the team. That's my memory of it anyway. By the end of the day, though, he had seen maybe 15, 10, 15, 20 of these lambdas we'd done over the last month and helped us make them better. So he got a good understanding of what were we doing because that's where you're gathering data and filtering it and all this stuff. So you're going to onboard under the purpose of the team super quick. And that I remember that incident and I recount it often because People ask, well, how do you onboard somebody to this? Well, if they're willing to work with a team. So this is teaming. He came in ready to contribute. I didn't even know he was a programmer. I just thought he was, you know, somebody was interested. Who who was it? You know, we had a bunch of what I would consider luminaries visit us in some of those earlier years. And I just thought here's somebody from, uh, you know, their part of the world that, that uh, was just interested that maybe they were a agile expert of some kind. But here he turned out to be, I think, a really brilliant programmer. And we learned a lot from him that day. At least that's my my recollection, right? Yeah, and that actually reminds me of a story that we talk about this in the book. But this would have been, I don't remember what year it was, but uh, Chris Hewlett and Woody and the team had literally just started mob programming. And he hadn't been doing it for very long. 
And Woody called me and said, hey, I want you to come see what we're doing. And so I went there and this was within, I guess, the first five or 10 minutes. I sat down with a group and um, I had always considered myself a spreadsheet expert because I've been working with spreadsheets since literally since the days of Lotus 123 on a DOS machine. I mean, way back when. And I'd use them all throughout my uh, uh, college experiences. And so I thought I knew just about everything there was to know, every possible shortcut, you know, everything you could know to make your work go faster. And literally within the first, like I said, 10 minutes of sitting down, we were doing something with a spreadsheet. And somebody showed me a shortcut that I never knew existed. And this is literally after decades of doing this stuff. Within, within 10 minutes, I learned something new. And that is the moment I realized there's a lot of power in this approach to crafting software. A lot. Because I get to experience the cognitive ability of everyone on the team, not just me. And I think of all the times that I started in a new company somewhere and I had to onboard. That's always a slow and difficult process. And I realized right then that morning that if I was a new programmer starting there, that by the end of the day, I would be contributing to the team. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's a really powerful thing. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, kind of being in that environment since then, uh, uh, reteamed now myself uh, to different products and teams, I don't know, five, six times um, in four years. And we still do the visiting. Uh, so every uh, twice a month, we have someone come in from anywhere around the world remotely. And it's that same experience, like they're immediately contributing whatever, you know, nugget or specialty they have. And uh, uh, so it's really, really fun. Um, so, okay, that, that helps explain a lot with the kind of the concept of teaming, you know, be like, hey, let's maybe go start teaming. Um, I had kind of going back to the writing process, um, uh, I had a, a specific question. So you, you, you both wrote the book together. Um, how, what was that experience like? And maybe starting with you, Kevin, like, uh, um, you know, how, how was the collaboration, I suppose? Uh, it was wonderful, actually. I found that what Woody and I do, we would, it was, I guess we were sort of, I guess you'd call it pair programming or pair writing since there were only two of us, but someone would have an idea or a thought about what we wanted to talk about next and they would just run with it. And the other person would actually be the driver typing it into the keyboard. And this would switch back and forth and back and forth. You know, I would get an idea and I would run with it and expound on it and Woody would type it in. And as he's typing it in, that would trigger something in him. And then he would get an idea and start kind of dictating to me, navigating to me. And then I would start, take over the keyboard and start putting in the what he was talking about. And I think it was that interplay, that feedback to be able to bounce ideas off of one another, that not only are we contributing individual ideas, but we're also triggering ideas in the other person that we didn't realize we had. And those ideas, you know, in turn trigger back to us. So it's, you know, it's kind of this chicken and egg thing going back and forth. Yeah, I love that. So I've I felt I feel the same experience. So Kevin thinks uh, Kevin's brain works differently than mine. So when we bring them together, we get a bigger brain than we would ever get alone. And you know, uh, there's a couple guys. Everybody will know who they are, but uh, I might mention their names. Um, who expressed me this concept they called the one. And to me, the, the what they said was, when you 
and you write software that you are going to use. Nobody else in the world will ever use it. You're writing it for yourself. You are the, the ideal person. You're the coder. You're the user. You're kind of all the parts of this thing. And that's how the first 15 years of me programming was. I was writing software I would use because I couldn't buy the software I wanted. And when I could, it was usually really terrible. So I needed to write my own software. With When you're working with a pair, writing like this, working with a team, whatever it happens to be, we get to take advantage of this concept of that one, everything is there in one person's brain, but it no longer is. But if we bring all those brains together, we get this team that can act. Because I can communicate really quickly with myself, right? It kind of like it's sort of more than instantaneous. I don't even know how exactly it all works. I'm trying to study that right now. But when we're doing it with other people, I want to get as close to that as possible. So where my ideas can be stifled or stagnate if it's just me, when I'm working with someone else, the ideas grow. And this really helps us move forward. It's like the old idea of, uh, I think they call it um, incubating an idea. And in this case, that incubation process becomes shorter because we're getting instant feedback that our brain may need to work on it ourselves for a long time. So bringing that back to the writing, we could just bounce things back and forth really quickly and we would end up actually having to make lists like a parking lot of the things we might want to cover later because the ideas were flowing so quickly this way. And I hope people find that works for them in, in mob programming as well yeah. uh, or, or software teaming. We have to be careful with that name, software teaming. Yeah. So, we well, can they, call it whatever we want to. <laughs> yeah, call it whatever you want. Well, we mentioned this. I never met... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So we mentioned we mentioned this in the book. It, it, to Woody's point about you know when you're working individually, you're limited by the, the cognitive capacity of the individual person. And the, the term we use in the book when you're working in a group is the cognitive collective. Mm. And in my view, it's not just one person's cognitive ability added to the next person's and added to the next person. I don't think it's just additive. I think it's actually multiplicative. Yeah, because I think that each person's ideas spark ideas in everyone else, and those ideas in turn feed back into the group. So it's it's kind of this self-reinforcing idea generation, and that's why I believe it's more multiplicative than additive. So uh, I think we get a lot out of working in a group, and that's where we came up with the term cognitive collective. Nice. Seems like a good candidate for a causal loop diagram. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, so. When I work with someone else, doing almost anything I've done in my life where we were working as a team, the results are, it's the old system thinking. The results aren't the adding together of the results that uh, of each individual. It's the multiplying we can get. And like if I go to help a, a friend move, and when I was younger, I always had a pickup truck, which meant if somebody was moving, uh, I might get invited to help them move. So if we go in to move the couch, we don't go, hmm, how do we break this up so each individual can move their own piece? You know, we don't get a chainsaw and cut the couch apart. We Together, we move the couch. But that is a type of teamwork that does require that we're very attentive to each other. So if we're going down the stairs and the person, particularly the one below, uh, says, set it down, set it down, set it down. You know, you're going to repeat it quickly. Like they're just, their intent is, 
this is good. I'm going to drop it and I'm going to get crushed. Let's please put it down. And so this, this kind of ability to collaborate well uh, under that kind of a situation is something we kind of naturally do in a way. So that's the kind of everything I've ever done when I was young and I played music uh, with, a, with a group. I had the same experience. As a matter of fact, the only reason I got to be really careful saying only, but the reason, main reason that coding dojos became something that I wanted to do a lot of uh, when I was first introduced to the idea of a coding dojo. Because it reminded me a lot of playing music in a band in the days when I was younger. It's like all the same feelings of collaboration, of letting someone else bring their idea forward, of following up and supporting that idea, even if I didn't quite get it yet. Like, I'm going to see us come to the finish of that, or the other person could say, yeah, this isn't going to work. That's up to them. But if they want to try something, I'm going to become an instant supporter and follower of whatever it is they want to do. And that reminded me a lot of playing music, uh, both in rock bands when I was really young and later in folk music bands when I got a little bit older, you know, into my advanced teens. And um, so it's like this feeling of people contributing and we pick up it, uh, we pick up on it and we run with it. It's a kind of, they talk about this with, um, with improvisation also, mm -hmm. like improv comedy. It's like, <laughs> if, if we deny the idea that was just brought forward, we're just going to kill everything. And we got to just accept yes it. And. Yeah. Yes, ending. Yep. Exactly. Yep. This is an important with teamwork. Everybody's got to be a leader and a follower continuously, almost, uh, you know, every individual has to be ready to lead when it's appropriate for them to lead and the rest of the team to follow at that moment. And, and this is important also about the concept of intent. So if I express my intent and Kevin doesn't pick up on it, we're going to drop the ball on something. So we're paying enough attention to each other to hear the ideas and say, yeah, let's, let's run with it. Hopefully that's useful to people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, yeah, to hopefully not get too metaphysical, but in a way, uh, when you're teaming or mobbing, uh, you, you have the unity and diversity all interplaying at the same time, kind of that's like right. improv jazz band. And that's I, I right. like that. Uh, I've heard people use that analogy before. I think it's really good. Um, uh, one thing I also noticed about the second edition is you have uh, a forward by uh, Kent Beck. Uh, what's the story there? Yeah, I, um, so Let's go back to 1999, and I got my first really great introduction to extreme programming. Yeah. That's this guy, Kent Beck. So I can't say too much about that. I, I would love to just let's let's put this under the, you know, everybody who becomes a programmer gets a copy of this book. This is the first edition of the extreme programming book. There's a second edition which I also liked, but this one had the um, the little, um, his little thing where he talks about how did extreme programming become? And he says, we had all these practices. I knew they were good because they were working for us. What would be it like? What would it be like if we turned up the good on all these things? And see, he imagined a, a console or mixing board, which was really easy for me to identify with. Like, here's this thing. So a mixing board for music, you know, microphones and instruments, whatnot, whatnot. That's there not to make everybody the loudest they can be. It's to make everybody balanced 
so we get the right end result. Well, that's how I took it. And from that, I took the idea of turn up the good because that's basically what he's saying. He said, what if we just turn every knob up to 10? Now, in the book, he says up to 10, but I hear people quoting him as saying up to 11, which he might have been thinking, but the book definitely says up to 10. So everyone who's watched Spinal Tap will know that's an important concept. So, um, but to get to the point, Kent Beck is somebody I've been following since I first read this book, pre all social media that I was ever involved in. And so I met him at a conference and we've talked about stuff. Turns out we had a lot in common. And uh, so we've stayed in touch. And uh, as we were thinking about, there's uh, several people I would like to have written a foreword, but he was the, the, the top of the list. So I thought, well, I'll just send him a note. And he said, sure, I would love to. And if you if you understand what he's saying there, he's not really endorsing anything about what we did or what we're saying. I don't think he's just kind of saying, you know, that because a lot of people will say, well, isn't this just like pair programming? Like, it's exactly like pair programming. It's like it's just expanding it slightly. It's a slight step beyond. So that's that. And Kent's a wonderful guy. Yeah, turn up to 11. That's right. We finally get that 11 here. And I'd like to see what the next thing is. Like pair programming, mob programming, or software teaming, what might there else there be? If we stop with what we have, we're going to end up, uh, you know, stagnating. I used that word before. I think that's what happens. If we just do what's here... Mob programming in a way or software teaming began for me shortly after I learned pair programming because I was working on a thing, well, a few years later, but not many, uh, where it seemed like it'd be an advantage to have the the product owner, which we call the business analyst, and the tester sitting together with a developer like me because otherwise I had to read reams of documents. I mean, just literally all kinds of documents to just get to the heart of some bug fix or something. So when we got three of us together, the business analyst knew what they wanted the thing to do. The tester knew what was wrong, where we could discover what was wrong, and that they could guide me to where in the code we needed to go, almost instantly. So where it could have taken a day or two just to understand a particular bug we were gonna fix, we can now do it in minutes. So that started you know, quite a while back. And as it grew, we started doing refactorings this way with five or six people back in 2006 or seven. Uh, an old time uh, co-worker of ours, uh, uh, Jason Kearney, will remember the stories of us refactoring uh, with a group of five or six people. And it was always a brain made up of all these different points of view, made from different ideas about how things could be. And we would navigate and just say, let's try this, let's try that. And somebody would be at the keyboard doing it. And that eventually grew, I guess, five years later into mob programming. I don't, the exact connections there aren't really clear to me. But by the time we started doing mob programming, I had almost 10 years of experience trying to work with more than two people at one computer. Nice. Well, I was always struck by all the years of my uh, software engineering career where Everywhere I ever worked, there were always admonitions for teamwork. There were posters in the hallway that you know showed somebody reaching down to pull somebody up the cliff. 
you know, the importance of being on a team and, you know, there's no I in team and how we're all in this as a team together. And yet it, I was always struck that we do very little work that I think you could truly consider to be a team. And we make this analogy in the book where you know, if you go to the orchestra, you know, say you go to the symphony and there's an orchestra playing, you, you don't see just one individual person sitting there and playing their part. And then when it comes time for the next instrument to play, they have to go find that person because that person's you know busily engaged with something else to make sure they're getting their money's worth from them. And the music stops, they get the person, they have to tell the person, now, you know, we're right here, so look it up on the music sheet, and then they find it and they play it, and then as soon as they're done with their part, they then go backstage. And it, it would be a start-stop affair that no one would rightly want to attend. But what if you notice carefully is that you'll see that as the mus music moves along, there are long periods where different musicians don't play anything at all. Mm. They sit there completely just following on along, observing where they are. But when the time comes that they're needed, they're instantly available right then and there so that the music keeps flowing. It never has to stop and start again. And so I was always struck, you know, in the corporate world, why we don't do more of that? You know, why do we separate the people that really should be working together? And I think it comes down to a focus on the belief that we have to keep our expensive programmers busy at all times, or we're not getting our money's worth out of them. And in so doing, we are unable to see the cost of the delay associated with having to coordinate people's work, what happens when somebody gets blocked, you know, how long do they have to wait before they're unblocked. And uh, that's a pretty significant expense. All the context switching. Yeah, I was always struck by, you know, we that we aren't doing what I would really consider teamwork. And then that's when I first came up to to Hunter Woody with you and Chris, and I saw, oh, this is teamwork. The work is always moving toward the customer. It's never blocked. It's never stopped. It's always moving toward the customer. And once it's in the customer's hands, we're getting money for it. Nice. Yeah, that. Uh... Yeah, that reminds me um, of uh, some of my first experiences mobbing is it, it almost felt like music was playing because we were accomplishing so much so quickly that I was like, what is going on? Like we're releasing to production. Wait, it's only been a couple hours, you know, like <laughs> um, and it also gives me maybe I'll get feedback to the next concert I go to to be like, hey, you could be way more resource efficient if you only paid that band member the times he's needed, you know, and, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're going to have a dance so um, we can't afford to have everybody here for the full four hours. So for the first hour, we'll have the drummer. And for the second hour, we'll have the bass player. And for the third hour, we'll have the lead singer. You know, we're not going to do that. So that's, I think, where the concept kind of an ensemble comes in is these people provide what we want, but they have to, we have to have them all. It's, it's kind of part of it. I will say this, though, is that there's no reason that all of our work has to be done as a group. It's just that when it's appropriate to be a group, we probably should be capable of that. In other words, uh, accomplished at working as, that's where the teaming idea comes in, is that if we can work well as a team when we need to work as a team, but I would never insist that somebody has to work as a team. They can, if they feel that they wanna go think alone, go think alone. 
Now, from my own life experience, I have um, experienced it over and over again that in a dialogue or a conversation with someone, uh, I can think, I can be focused and thinking about a specific thing for a much longer period of time. So that's something that I think research is starting to show is that humans are actually maybe well geared up for conversation and dialogue. And we'll find a lot of writings that go back, you know, thousands of years, I guess, uh, to the Greek and maybe Roman writings of, of philosophy and so on. It's often written in sort of a dialogue manner. And I, I think dialogue gives us a way to to bring forward our ideas that we couldn't if we didn't do the dialogue. Not everybody's the same. That's just one condition that some people might have. But I've noticed for myself, I have an older brother who used to call me up and he'd say, hey, there's something I uh, I want to talk uh, uh, with you about, but you don't need to listen. Can, can you think about that for a moment? But you need <laughs> to listen. Because he knew that if he had someone else to explain it to, it would have forced to say the things. That's Maybe I was the rubber duck. Is that the rubber duck thing? Maybe yeah. I was the rubber duck model. So I would usually listen to him because I would always learn something, but you get the picture. It's like yeah. for, having to form the sentences is part of the thinking process. And there's actually a lot of people who do that. Um, I've read about that, about individuals. Like they'll imagine they're talking with Abraham Lincoln. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that used to be one of the presidents of the United States uh, before I was born. But, you know, <laughs> just think of somebody that you admire that you can have the conversation with that I've actually in book somewhere saying here's the technique you use nice nice yeah, i can't i i wish i could count the number of times where i had spent hours trying to solve some difficult complex problem and programming some logic thing and finally i just in disgust give up and, and go to the person next to me and go have you ever seen a situation where oh never mind i got it <laughs> it's just just the idea of you know having to try to explain it to somebody else that's brilliant. It automatically makes me yeah. think twice about what I need to do and gets the problem solved. But whenever I tell people that I've been talking to Abraham Lincoln, they all look at me like I'm crazy. So I just I don't <laughs> Chris, they look at like at me like I'm crazy no matter what. So <laughs> it, I don't even have to say anything. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, we're coming up on time. I'd actually love to keep going because um, I'd like to hear more about Chris's Abraham Lincoln conversations. And actually, I'm a I'm a philosophy nerd on the side, so I would love to sometime dive deep into the classic dialogues and how that's like mobbing. But we are coming up on time. Um, I'll give you an opportunity for both of you to share. But I had one very practical question because it's something I'm dealing with at this moment. I am a good deal away through the first edition reading it, and now there's a second edition. What advice do you have for me? Do I abandon the first and go straight to the second or finish the first? And then. <laughs> that's a good question. Oh, that's Yeah, I never considered that. That somebody would have picked up our first edition and not just immediately read it cover to cover. That seems absurd. Yeah, I know. A lazy person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. That's how I read books. That's, you know. This, this, I would suggest starting in on the second edition. Okay. Um, and the reason I say that is because there, there's considerable new material in it, and the existing material has been considerably refactored. So I think you might get more out of the second edition than you would the first. The okay. only difference is if you're a, a math and numbers nerd like me, 
um, you may want to read the financial analysis section in the first edition. That got cut down to size and simplified for the second edition. But it's, uh, yeah, it's quite involved in the first edition. The second edition is much more readable. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Well, before we close out, uh, anything y'all like to share, uh, uh, you know, plug um, before we close out, starting with you, Woody, and then going to Kevin. Well, for one thing, I wanted to plan my 2023. And uh, I've got a few conferences I'm going to. If you've got a conference that you'd like to have this subject covered, or any of the subjects I talk about, it's mostly about teaming, but I also have the beyond estimates concept and a few other things that I share, but uh, looking for the engagements I'm going to have. I already have some stuff. I think I'm going to be in the UK. And uh, matter of fact, I'm pretty certain in uh, May and then probably in, I think I'm going to India in March and I'm going to be back in, you think in maybe September or October, but anyway, so I'm looking for whatever I'm going to, do this year and I'm always open to doing works remotely or now I've been going uh, to do them co-located you know so I'm looking for that and but if there's ever any question or anything you want to know just reach out and I'll try to help any way I can my goal isn't to get more work my goal is to uh, help anybody who's interested in learning to work well together find a way to move along that path that's what I'm trying to do yeah, and uh, uh, people to reach out to you, uh, what would be your recommended way? <laughs> the easiest thing is to go to Twitter, if it still exists, or LinkedIn. <laughs> and so either of those will work for me. Um, that's the easiest thing, because nice. that's, you know, I, I check that moment by moment, like probably, uh, yeah. Um, how about you, Kevin? Anything to share a plug before we close? Uh, uh, yeah, just a brief note in case it wasn't clear. The first edition of the book is still on LeanPub, but it's been what's called retired. So you can't purchase a new copy, but if you purchased an original copy, you can still download it. And the second edition is now up on Amazon, not LeanPub. Cool. That's right. We should have made that clear. Yeah. We did. People could easily get a, a paperback version, whereas the original book was just electronic form. So... Nice. Nice. Well, thank you so much, uh, Kevin and Woody, for being on the show with us today. A lot, a lot of fun. Uh, I learned a lot of great things. And uh, yeah, so if you were inspired by this episode, uh, yeah, please uh, go get the book and uh, uh, dive on in. And, uh, you know, um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the book or uh, anything Woody and Kevin have shared here. Please share this episode with someone uh, you might think... uh, uh, we'll be inspired as well. Um, yeah, you can reach out to uh, me and Chris on uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, and more and see the show notes for that. And uh, uh, have a good one, everybody. And I was going to say mob on and have a good one, but maybe mob and team on and have a good one and uh, talk to you all later. Bye. All right. Bye, guys. Bye,